Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I've got Andy Donaldson in the beach shack. He's a marathon swimmer, born and raised in Scotland and relocated to Perth to pursue his swimming career in the 200 metres. But due to injury, he retired in 2016 and went and worked as an accountant. But due to mental health, he decided to travel the world. He returned to Perth and to swimming and decided to do Ocean 7 Challenge to raise money for the Black Dog Institute. And let's sit back and have a listen to this amazing story with Andy. Okay, this week in the Beach Shark, it's a pleasure to have he's a, a swimmer. He's done a shorter course. It, it's unbelievable, but we'll chat about it. He just does his marathon swimming, which is something that uh, everybody should be uh, quite proud of. Now, Andy Donaldson, you join us today. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks, Hoppo. How are you getting on? Yeah, good, mate. Now, we'll get on to your swimming shortly, but... You grew up, born and bred Scotland. Now, you wouldn't think swimmers come from Scotland. Uh, certainly, certainly not open water swimmers. That's for sure. Uh, you were, I mean, it's cold enough on the on the land, never mind in the ocean. So, you know, we were a rare breed. But uh, no, my my background's in pool swimming. Used to do a lot of the shorter stuff, two hundred meter stuff. Uh, but like you said, uh, nowadays. Doing a bit bit longer distances than that now. <laughs> so, take us back when you were a young bloke, you know, growing up in Scotland, and, and how was that? Did you do multiple sports back then? Yeah, I think um, you know, in Scotland, golf's quite a big sport. So, Dad had a golf club in my hands before I could even walk. So, he was trying to encourage me down that path, but uh, I ended up getting into swimming. Uh, it was something that my cousin and my older sister did. And uh, I think when you're dragged along to enough meets and, and carnivals, you, you just kind of find yourself <laughs> get, getting involved in it as well. And uh, yeah, through through my younger years, really loved the sort of 200 meter distances, did all, all four strokes and, and the medley swims. And um, as I got older, started targeting things like uh, the Commonwealth Games and, and trying to race for Scotland and, and Great Britain on the international stage. Uh, and that took me, I, I suppose, all places around the world. I lived in England for a while and uh, 10 years ago in, in 2013, it, it brought me over to over to here, to, to Western Australia, which is where I, where I now live. So when you're starting off, did you realise you had a, a skill with swimming or it was something that you know you had to work at? I think it was... It was more the latter, Hoppo. I mean, I, I think when you start out something, you know, you're not thinking about these these big goals like an Olympic Games or, or racing the world's best. You, you do it because you enjoy it. And when I started out swimming, I was I was seven years seven years old when I joined the squad. And my friends were doing it, and and that's all I was thinking about at the time. And do they have good quality pools over there? The fifty meter pools, or is it hard to come by? It's it's very different to here. So in Australia, you pretty much have a fifty meter pool in every suburb. 
uh, in Scotland when I was growing up, uh, I think in the entire country, we, we might have had about four 50-meter pools. So four 50-meter pools, I, I grew up training in 25-meter facility that was built in the 60s, heated to about 30 degrees, uh, which is nice when you jump in, but uh, when you get going and you're in the middle of a tough set, it's, it's not the best. And yeah, I remember our lanes were pretty stacked with, you know, probably about eight or 10 people in a 20 in a 25 meter lane and doing butterfly. It was, it was like a wave pool, but I suppose it probably, probably built up some good resilience and, and skills with, with choppy conditions. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that probably helped your open, open water swimming in the, in the ocean. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, when I moved here, obviously, you, you do have those facilities and, and swimming's a far bigger sport than it is in the UK. Here in Australia, you know, it's, it's really ingrained in, in the culture and the lifestyle. You know, there's so many famous swimmers and, and incredible swimmers through the years. It's just amazing to be engulfed in that environment where everyone's active and doing things or, or down the beach and, and getting involved in, in the sport. So what was the reason then you relocated to Perth? Uh, it was originally just for for a fresh challenge, I suppose. I was I just finished up university. Uh, I have an older sister who lives in, in Western Australia. At the time I was I was staying with my parents back in Scotland and she came over at Christmas time and gave me a fair bit of a bollocking for living at home and just said, Oh, you need to become more independent and get off your arse. <laughs> so, you know, with 500 bucks in the bank, I, I moved out to, to Perth and, you know, absolutely loved it. And what was supposed to be a year turned, turned into 10 years. And how is that? What swimmers were you training with back then and also competing against? What, what Australians were around in that era? So what I was looking at, Hoppo, was the, the 200 freestyle in 2010, the Scots came second at the Commonwealth Games in the 4 by 2 We had guys like Robbie Rennick, who was the best in Britain at the time, um, and really so, like a really solid 4 by 2 team. So in terms of Australian swimmers, uh, it would have been like Tommy Fraser-Holmes, who else? Kenrick Monk, I think. Guys like that. They were, you know, fantastic swimmers. And I was, you know... I was sitting at 151 when I was 17, 18 years old. I probably needed to get down to about a 148 uh, to make that team. And in the build-up to trials in 2014 for the Commonwealth Games, or it was a Glasgow Commonwealth Games as well, so home games, I actually busted my shoulder uh, diving into a sandbar. (laughs) So, (laughs) So, you know, you as a lifeguard probably watching us Brits come over here and uh, with no zero surf skills and, and doing stupid stuff like that. <laughs> it was actually, it was watching the Nutrigrain um, series down at Smith's Beach in Western Australia. And it was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. So my teammate at the time, Simon Hutenga, um, he was he was on the Australian team for the 10K. He was handling for, for one of the competitors. So we all went down and watched and I just, I was mesmerized by it. I just thought it was amazing. And saw all these guys dolphin diving into the ocean, tried to emulate it and <laughs> straight into a sandbar, busted my shoulder in, in the lead up to trials and, and it completely scuppered my, 
my preparation and ended up missing the team. Well, you're lucky there. I see a lot of people do that uh, down at Bondo and they actually break their neck doing that. So you got away with it with just the shoulder. Well, no, I mean, that's it. I mean, it was, it was absolutely humiliating, but I, I came away thinking, well, I could be in a wheelchair. So, yeah, it was, um, it was very fortunate. And, you know, out of that, uh, I didn't make that team. You know, that was that was a bit of a turning point because, you know, swimming can be quite cutthroat like that. It, just like like many sports, your your whole season can be defined by two minutes of racing. And, and when I didn't make the team and my friends went on to race for Scotland at a home games, that was something that was very tough to, to, to kind of see. And um, what came out of that, I, I had a chat with my coach at the time, Matt McGee, to City of Perth. And I was tossing up whether I leave the sport or try a fresh challenge. And, and one of the things we, we came up with together was join surf club and get those surf skills and, and try some open water and see, see how, I found, how I found that, which, you know, was the beginning of, of what I'm doing now. So looking back now, even though that was devastating that you missed the team, but how did you mentally get through that? Uh, well, at the time it it wasn't it wasn't easy, and you know these were guys that I'd been training with all my life, and they were going on to you know live this dream, this shared dream that we all had. So I probably didn't approach it the best. I just I didn't didn't really want to watch it, you know, because it, it hurt quite a bit. Um, but having that that fresh challenge to pivot to and and almost switch lanes into open water. Uh, that was something that was that was really good, exciting, and, and provided that fresh challenge to pursue. So do you think in hindsight, if you didn't do your shoulder, say you made the team, you may not have ever gone to open water swimming? Yeah, I think I think that'd be right. I mean, you know, I think in, in life, I certainly held a lot of feelings of, of guilt and unfulfillment that I, I felt that I hadn't reached my potential in pool swimming. But if that hadn't happened, you know, I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now and wouldn't wouldn't be the person I am today. So, you know, we can't change the past. We can only change the way we look at it. So let's talk about then you you, you went on to, as you said, you joined the surf club and started doing some ocean swimming. What, what was your first ocean swim? Do you remember? Oh, oh gosh. First ocean swim was a shocker. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the first open water swim was it was a five k swim, I think, in in the Swan River, which wasn't the nicest places of uh, to swim. But uh, I ended up getting pipped, I think, by you know less than half a second for the finish. And the guy that beat me won an iPad, so I was pretty salty about that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it it was really awesome. The the idea with with joining Surf Club, you know, obviously getting those surf skills, entry into the water. But you know what it's like when you start a race and everyone's there together and it's all condensed and packed, fighting to the can. Uh, it was a great way to learn those skills in a shorter distance compared to racing 10k events where things can get quite spread out and and we might not have the numbers or, or quality or depth and quality that we needed to be sort of learning those things to take to the international stage so yeah I, I joined City of Perth Surf Lifesaving Club you know that was fantastic great to see different different sports you know that's it's not really that 
much of a thing in in the UK. So to to get involved in the surf scene, yeah, went went on to to win quite a lot of medals at state level. We even took out a taplin, which was quite something because we were quite a motley crew of <laughs> people that were brought together and, and beat the far probably the better and more superior team and favourites coming in, Trig Island. So that was that was quite a good experience. Yeah, I used to love the uh, tap. We did a fair few yeah, taplins in my in my day when I was doing some open mainly I was mainly the uh, ski paddler, but yeah, it's a great, it's a great event the tapling. Oh, just you know, with it being the final event and everyone comes around to the to the same arena to watch it and get around it. You know, I didn't quite understand at the time, being someone new to the sport, just how big it was and how big the rivalry was. So yeah, to to get the result and. It was. It came down to a run up the beach with our last guy. To come down to that, you know, it was it was a pretty surreal thing to be part of. I, I remember just be feeling buzzing for for like weeks afterwards. Well, for people that don't know what a taplin is, uh, some people listening from overseas or people listening in Scotland, it's two swimmers, two board paddlers, and two ski paddlers, and they draw the uh, order of the uh, of the legs out each time that on each day. So that was uh, so you could have. Uh, you swim first, or you could be swimming last. Yeah, that's it. We we were in the middle, so it was myself and Simon Hootinger. I think the swimmers, we, we had the better swimmers on the day, so that certainly helped. But uh, yeah, quite something to be part of. And then from there, where, where was your first, your other um, long distance races? And did you realise, like I've got a bit of a skill here for long distance, whereas you, as you said, you're mainly a two hundred meter swimmer. Yeah, and then you know. It, it was quite a jump up in, in training, you know, going from 200 meters up to 10 Ks, which is the, the Olympic event. I'd, I'd been, I suppose, doing it for about a year and a half. And together with Matt McGee, we, we were looking at our options as to how we could race on the international stage for, uh, in the 10 K, um, because that was the goal try racing the international stage and amongst the best in the world. At the time, Great Britain had one of the very best. He, he was top three. So we were looking at that and thinking, uh, you know, there might not be opportunities to race for GB if, if he's there and he's quite young and, and, and competitive. So, and I wasn't an Australian citizen at the time. So we were exploring opportunities to race for Indonesia, which is where my mother's from. Great way to get exposure to that level of racing and, and some funding and, and to race around the world. Unfortunately, conversations were initially good, but they, they sort of petered out uh, in the run-up to the Olympic Games in 2016. And I just felt that the opportunities to race at the level I wanted to weren't there. And I was 25 at the time, felt the, the societal expectations to that I should be focusing on my career and saving up money and buying a house and settling down. So I I actually stepped away from the sport in, in 2016 and and thought that was me done. Just wrapped it up and yeah. And then you went into work. So what were you what work did you go into when you retired from swimming at that time at 2016? So I am an accountant, so I, I threw myself into that. You know, when you when you make that transition from, I suppose, almost full time sport, when you take that away, you've you've got this um, 
this this void, I suppose, where you've got all this time. So I I threw myself into my accounting career and took on all these additional studies and was almost trying to play catch up to to get to the same level as as my colleagues. And um, the pendulum probably swung a little bit too far in, in in that direction. And you know, life wasn't very balanced for for a number of years. You know, a typical day would be working. Well, they say nine to five. It, it wasn't anything like that. It was more eight till seven and coming home and, and reading a book on tax for another two hours. That was that was my life for about three years. And, you know, in the beginning, it was it was good. It was a fresh challenge. I was meeting good people. I was progressing well, but it, it wasn't sustainable. You know, it didn't happen overnight, but over time, uh, things started to build up and got to a point in 2019 where few life events happened. Um, I had some friends that I lost to suicide in 2019. I had a relationship breakdown and my colleagues got fired at work and their workload got put onto my shoulders. And I, I just, I just broke and, and really crashed hard and, and hit rock bottom in, in 2019. And yeah, it was, it was tough. I, I didn't have I wasn't swimming much. I, I didn't see my friends all that much. My answer at the time was to to sell all my stuff and go backpacking. <laughs> <laughs> and did you do that? I did, yeah. I did, Hoppo. So quit my job and uh, chopped my bed on Gumtree and 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 went off and, and tried to travel the world, which, you know, it was it was fantastic. It was really something I've always wanted to do, see more of the world, experience different things. But, you know, again, it wasn't wasn't something that was sustainable. And and thankfully, well, not maybe not thankfully, but in, we all know what happened in 2020. The COVID pandemic happened and uh, it brought me back to Perth and inadvertently back, back to swimming in, in the water. Because I noticed too, when you're on that backpacking journey, you you worked as a volcano tour guide. Is that correct? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so I was out. I was out in Central America at the time and wanted to try stay stay put for a bit of time and and own my Spanish and uh, took a job of all things as a volcano tour guide, <laughs> where we'd take people up volcanoes, take them camping, swimming in the crater lakes. For the most adventurous people, we'd take them volcano boarding, which would be like hurling them down the side of a volcano on a sandboard. <laughs> and you could reach some like you could reach some pretty quick speeds, like 30 Ks an hour coming down the side of these mountains. So yeah, it was it was a great time and a great part of my life. Now I'm very thankful that I managed to come back here and and that set off this chain of events that has taken me to to what I'm doing now. So when you came back to Perth, you obviously got back into swimming. And was that something that you found mentally helped when you're doing back and doing exercise? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it was it was a chance meeting with an old friend and mentor of mine, a guy called Martin Smoothie. Um, on my first day of out of quarantine, we we met at the beach, and he just encouraged me to to go swimming with him in the mornings during lockdown. So. Uh, for for the people that know Perth well, we would swim from Trigg Beach to Sorrento Beach in the mornings. It's about three to four k's, 
along the coast. Yeah, exactly like you say. It, it just had the most incredible impact on 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 my well-being, how I felt. Obviously, you have the the physical benefits, but you know, having that time alone with your own thoughts and being out there in the water, uh, there, there's something quite freeing to it. And yeah, I just it, it made me realise how much I, I missed the sport. So then you did get back into it, and I noticed you um, also you've won the Rottnest swim, which I've done it. I reckon I've done that about eleven times now, but in a four man team. Yeah, that's about all I'm ever going to do. I think with swimming. <laughs> <laughs> you don't fancy it, Hoffman? Oh, I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'll put it this way: I'd probably be a good challenge to do enough training to do it a solo, just to go from mm. A to B and finish it. I don't know what time I'd be able to do, but with your training, how how much is it in a week to do? the swimming that you're doing now? I had to do the swimming that I do now. I suppose when I was doing the Ocean 7, which uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll chat about, because of the nature of it, you're doing these ultramarathon swims, which can be you know, above 25Ks. The longest one I did was almost 50Ks. So there's, there's quite a lot of distance in the, in the pool that we're doing. You know, there's, there's kind of no way around that. There's no shortcuts. Um, if you're going to be in the water for up to 16 hours, you know, you need to have the, the durability to do that. But to do them at speed, it's it's a balance of quality and quantity, I suppose. And for something like Rottnest, which is 19.7-kilometre uh, race here in Western Australia out to Rottnest Island, we wanted to be hitting certain times, so... I was probably doing about 50 Ks of swimming a week in the pool. I, I know plenty of people that do a lot more. Wanted to also ensure that we were doing it quality as well, doing these sessions um, with quality in mind and a real emphasis on working in the right energy zones and, and maintaining good technique because, you know, technique only technique not only helps your efficiency in the water and in, in having a good stroke, but is paramount for injury prevention, particularly when you're going to be doing, you know, almost 30,000 strokes in one of these major channel crossings. And what time did you do the Rottnest? You've obviously played down the Rottnest swim a few times. What's your fastest time? Uh, so <laughs> I've done, well, as of last Sunday, I've done it three times as a solo, I suppose. I did it once in 2018 as a fairly last minute thing where... I did it with about five weeks of training. That was a big mistake. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty painful. Uh, essentially, they were looking for more people to do the more elite swimmers to get involved with the champions of the channel wave. And I came out of retirement and was very undercooked going into that. Uh, but this one in 2021, uh, the year that I won it, uh, I was a four, four hours, zero four. So at the time, the, the record was four hours exactly. And, you know, to, to put a bit of perspective on things, I'd only come back from my, my backpacking mid-2020. And once I started swimming again, um, I started really enjoying it again and, and thought I'd have a crack at Rottnest and see what I could do, revisit a few of those old goals and, see how much I could challenge myself. And so, uh, 
you know, with, with 10 months of training, I was able to get up to that position with my coach where we'd, we'd won, won Rottnest against a really stacked field full of guys that were on the Australian team. So, and it wasn't even that, like, I don't think the conditions were anything special. They weren't the best. Um, but to put down a performance like that, that was quite close to the, the Rottnest record, you know, it really signified to me that I, I was still quite good at this and, and I still had some fire in the tank to, to go on and, and I wanted to see where I could take my swimming. Because that's amazing swimming. That's what, roughly about five kilometres an hour, really, isn't it? It's more or less, yeah. So that And that was the, the goal to, to be holding roughly about 112 pace per 100 metres. And so, like, what does that look like in training? You know, we were trying to make sure that 110 pace was super comfortable so that on the day doing 112s was something that you could do with your eyes closed and you know you could do until the cows came home yeah I think they've got me in again for another team for next year I think so to start doing <laughs> put the paddle away and start doing some swimming training <laughs> <laughs> well you've got the doctor coming up haven't you yeah I've got the uh the doctors in a in a few weeks and then um Let's see, uh, there's a whole week there of racing and then the following week we've got the, the World Championships are on the week after. So, yeah, big uh, big month coming up for me. So into the uh, paddling and then I'll have to get into the swimming after after I finish that. But in a four-man team, it's a lot of fun. It's not as hard. and mm. you know, we, we only do about five, minute, five minutes each. You keep rotating yeah. uh, around. So it's not that. It's, it's a, a bit of fun to do the teams, even though by the end you've had enough. Oh, I mean, it is. It's, it's a fantastic day and... You know, again, when we were talking about swimming and comparisons between the the environment and community here versus in in the UK, like it's just amazing that there's an event like this that that draws thousands of swimmers from around the country to to Perth, and it, it happens every year, and the whole city gets behind it. Yeah, oh, that's that's unbelievable. My first time doing it was like the boats, the amount of boats that are in the water. The swimmers, there's like, and you look at the from the Cottesloe across to the uh, to Rottnest, you think, how the hell am I going to get across there? But yeah, no, it's an amazing day. It's it's great to do. Mm, mm, absolutely. Like now, let's talk about the Ocean Sevens because a lot of people probably don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. So, how'd that come about? And and then tell us about what what you did in it. Uh, well, I'll, I'll start with what it is. So the the Ocean Seven is a collection of the world's toughest channel swims. So it's swims like the English Channel, the Cook Strait over in New Zealand between the South and the North Island, the North Channel, which is Ireland to Scotland, Spain to Morocco, so Europe to Africa, the Molokai Channel, which many board paddlers and ski paddlers would know what that is, over in Hawaii, the Catalina Channel from Catalina Island to Los Angeles, and the Suguru Strait in Japan, which is between two of the islands there. Uh, so they're considered to be the world's toughest channel swims. They're all done in speedos, so you're not wearing a wetsuit, all in different parts of the world. So there's you know, tropical swims like in Molokai versus, I suppose, less tropical ones like Ireland to Scotland. <laughs> they all bring around their own unique challenges. When, when I did the Rottnest Channel Swim, like I was saying, like it, getting that result and, and taking the win was was really quite a, a huge moment for me 
you know, we we managed to pull off this what seemed to be this impossible challenge to to get fit in the space of ten months and and try throw down something that could be competitive against some really good guys. So yeah, there was there was still the hunger to challenge myself to take on more of these uh, ultra marathon swims, uh, but I'd also been raising money for mental health and a charity here called the Kai Erdley Foundation. Uh, you know, having had struggles with in the past with my own mental health and having lost friends to suicide and, and my grandfather being a big role model of mine who suffered with depression, you know, it was, it was a cause that was, it was and, and is a cause that's very close to my heart. And I think that day we'd raised about $12,000 $12, for that charity. And I just realized like, oh, maybe there's a way to combine sport with purpose and, and continue to use swimming as a vehicle to support this cause that's close to my heart. So decided to try the Ocean 7, see what I can do and, and to use it as in a way that might be able to support mental health. Uh, but before I did that, I, I tackled a few more ultra marathon swims here in Australia first because I, you know, I wanted to make sure I could actually do these distances and, and do these challenges and figure out that I actually like doing them. So uh, there's something here called the Australian Triple Crown. It's the port to pub 25 kilometer swim, the, the Derwent River big swim in Tasmania. So it's 35 kilometer swim down the Derwent River to Hobart. And then for people in Sydney, there's a, there's a swim from Pan Beach all the way down to Shelley Beach along Sydney's northern beaches, uh, which is about 25 k's as well. Uh, so I did, did all those swims. The one from Pan Beach to Shelley was particularly quite a challenge because our boat broke down halfway through. I was treading water for about half an hour, three case off the coast of of Mona Vale. So that was uh, <laughs> that was pretty pretty hairy. But you know, surviving that experience, I suppose, made me realise that I'm ready to take on these bigger challenges. And and so we we got underway with starting with the English Channel last August uh, in 2022. And did you? Is there a timeline you need to do all seven in? Or I right, so no. I mean, most most people spend years doing the ocean seven. You know, many of the swims, you know, they're they're quite hard. Oh, they are. They're they're very hard in their own right. Myself and my team, uh, you know, I sought out some people that that wanted to be involved in this and saw the opportunity to use it as a vehicle to support a worthwhile cause and maybe quite naively we we came out saying at the beginning that we we wanted to try do all seven of them within the space of a year uh, that was something that no one had ever tried before or no one had ever done before sorry there's been about 20 at this point there'd been about 23 people that had done the ocean seven in its entirety and in, in its entirety but you know most of those guys had taken sort of four or five years to do them so we thought we'd have a crack and see if we could do that and, and generate some hype around it that could hopefully transfer to donations for for the mental health charity that we'd chosen to support. So what was the, uh, as you are saying, the first one was the English Channel? First one was the English Channel. So, you know, that was, that one's the one that, that most people know about. 
you know they call it the Everest of swimming. It's it's the world's one of the world's busiest shipping ways. It was it was it was just quite surreal to be there, and and to see it in person. Uh, but one of the one of the challenging things with these these ultra marathon swims is there's so much stuff out with your control. Uh, and what I mean by that, you know, if you were to compare it to a traditional race, traditional pool race, for example, you you know exactly what day you're swimming, what event you're in, you know that it's going to be 200 meters long, and you almost know down to the very minute when you're due to start. Uh, in this sort of environment, it's it's the complete opposite. You know, you you're you have a window of seven days. You're waiting for other people to go before you. When you're out there in the water, conditions can change. The the currents might be worse than expected. The wind plays its impact. Most people don't swim in a straight line because of the strength of the tides. And it's 33 kilometers from point to point, but most people end up swimming an extra 10Ks because, you know, Mother Nature plays its plays its part. So it is, it's, it's, it's quite something to get your head around. And, you know, we, we wanted to try throw down some quick times and I don't think I quite realized just how hard that was until I went out there and, and experienced it firsthand. And then you completed that one. What were the next ones that you had to complete? Uh, so from there, I, I went up to Scotland to do the swim from Ireland to Scotland. Oh God, I, I turned into an icicle. It was freezing. It was absolutely freezing. Uh, so for a bit of context, um, I'd imagine oceans over on the East Coast, maybe about 20 degrees right now, 21, 22. In yeah. Scotland, it was 12, 12, 13. And, you know, that's cold enough to do a quick dip and, and get out. But this channel was 34 kilometers long. So you're in there for hours and hours. And midway through, I think there was four guys that did it that day on the same day as me. You know, I was chatting to them before. One guy hadn't taken a he hadn't taken a hot shower for over a year to prepare for this, like doing ice baths every day. And one of the girls was, I suppose, a little bit bigger, so perhaps had a bit more padding to to help her. And then the the third guy was Russian, so I just thought, oh, this will be, you know, a leisurely swim for you. Uh, and me, who probably hadn't done enough to prepare for the cold, but funnily enough, it was it was the Russian was the only one that, that didn't make it. And he dropped out after three hours, which 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 was quite something. But yeah, goodness, it was that was one of the mentally toughest swims that I did because of the cold. And I think it was about three hours in, I really started to feel the body shutting down, uh, just because. Um, I couldn't get warm and I remember thinking in my head that you know I'm I'm not even halfway I'm only a third of the way and, and this is how I feel now and and you know your mind starts just going into into overdrive the 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 negative thoughts start started to creep in and um that was it was a real challenge to to get through it and find a way to continue on to to finish the thing and how long were we in the water in that one, nine hours and 13 minutes, I think it was. It's like having a, a, an ice bath for nine hours. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Jeez. 
I mean, God, yeah, it felt a lot longer. <laughs> so what's the recovery from that? How did you feel days after? That one in particular was pretty tough after. I mean, all of the swims, so all of the swims are, are marathon and distance, so over 10 kilometers. Most of them are around 30 k's. So you're swimming for a long time and naturally your shoulders and your, your lats, which are, are used quite heavily in swimming, are, are pretty short after those but I, cer- I certainly found that the, the cold swims were, were the tougher ones to recover from you know the, the cold constricts the muscles and not just from a physical perspective but like a mental perspective too uh, they were quite tough to to come back from because you do need to give yourself time to recharge mentally as well and for me you know we were trying to do all seven of these within the space of a year in some instances, they were just back to back, back to back, and you know you were you were getting back on the plane and going off to the next stop to to take on the next swim. So, you know, recovery was paramount to to give yourself a chance, to give yourself a fighting chance of making it through these next swims. And then the other ones you mentioned were Japan, uh, Hawaii. Yeah, how were they? <laughs> you picked the two worst ones. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh, they were, I mean, they were, they were something else. I mean, to swim, to swim from Molokai Island to Oahu in a straight line, it was 44 kilometers. So we, we set off at about 7 PM. It was a quick turnaround. I'd, I'd arrived on the plane the day before. So not that much time to settle in or adjust in terms of body clock. And we were swimming it through the night. And the idea was through the night would mean less wind, less choppy conditions. In all of these swims, for, for anyone that's that's not familiar with marathon swimming of this nature, there's always the support boat that's out there in the water with you, sometimes a kayaker. Uh, but in this one, it's, it's a little bit different. Usually the support boat sits beside you and someone's always got their eyes on you. But because of the swell there in the Molokai channel, they can't do that because the boat might get pushed into the swimmer. So the boat was sitting off, you know, 100, 200 metres ahead, and, and it was just you and a kayaker swimming out there in the middle of the Pacific right through the night. And it is, it's, it's tough. It's, it's really quite tough. You, you can't see the bottom. You know, it's pitch black. The boat didn't have its lights on because they were worried that the sharks might get encouraged in or see the lights and get drawn in. Uh, So I'm just swimming there with a kayaker and I couldn't really see them either. So it's, it's, it's quite an isolating feeling and, you know, being a couple of pin drops in the middle of the Pacific Ocean there's, there's no huge land masses to, to block the swell. So, you know, you're looking at sort of three or four meter swells. I was, I was throwing up quite a lot through that and I don't get seasick all that easily. So that was, that was really challenging. And, um, when we got out there, the, the currents weren't favorable. We, we didn't know until we got out there, uh, the currents weren't favorable. Usually I can hold sort of just under 5k an hour pace, quite relaxed and comfortably. Uh, but out there on the day, it, it was closer to closer to half of that. 
Uh, and so, you know, you're not making the ground that you want to make. You're not traveling nearly as quick as you want. And this was the longest swim of the Ocean 7. So like mentally, receiving that news was a bit of a kick in the balls. <laughs> now, and a lot of people would ask too, you mentioned it before with sharks. I mean, these ocean swims are, you know, they're out in the open. You're out in the middle of the ocean. You know, the sharks around. You know, is that something that worries you? Or maybe after you get going and, and the pain's so severe, because I've been in events sometimes where, the pain's so severe, I don't really care whether the shark comes up or not. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's funny you say that. That happened in Molokai. That happened in Molokai. So I did, I did actually, I mean, firstly, yes. I mean, you, I think we're all human and, and the thought comes across our mind. There's, there's not really, you wouldn't, you'd be a robot if you weren't. If it didn't, at least enter your thoughts at least once. So I think usually you have the support boat at your side. So you know someone's eyes are always on you if if anything were to happen. And and that adds a level of comfort. You know, you're not out there on your own and you're battling these challenges with, with other people in your corner. I did see a shark in the Molokai Channel Swim. It was in the middle of the night. Saw this this grey shape lurking beneath and I thought it was dolphins because I'd seen dolphins earlier but you know I didn't have didn't hear the dolphin screeches so I, I quickly realized that that it was something else we had the shark shields to the ocean ocean guardian shark shields hanging off the side of the kayak so I just like swam straight up to the kayaker and was basically hugging the kayak and I was like you do not leave me at all here <laughs> And uh, you know, my heart's racing. I'm fighting all my urges not to, not to panic because I'm sure they they sense that. But it was just being inquisitive, and and it ended up swimming off. Uh, but towards the end of that swim, you know, like I was saying, we we weren't covering the distance that we had been expecting, and it took a lot longer than than we were hoping for. So I sort of had in my head ten or eleven hours to to complete it. And because it was so challenging out there, we were out there until almost 16 hours. And like you said, got to a stage where I just thought, you know what? And I just I don't care anymore. <laughs> if I see a shark, like I just don't care anymore. I'm so <laughs> wrecked and knackered. If it eats me, it's it's probably put me out of my misery. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know. I've felt the same in races, not as long as you're doing, but I've felt them in races where I've gone, oh. And I'll tell you what, it's bad enough paddling across the Molokai on an ocean ski. I can't imagine trying to swim it. I mean, there's there's things you can prepare for. You you can always prepare for the distance. You can prepare for swimming through the night by practicing. You can prepare for cold swims. But something like receiving that bad news, like we were at one stage, we, we were getting pushed almost backwards and and only covering 1500 meters an hour so for any swimmers out there you know taking four minutes to do 100 meters like you can't prepare for receiving that news and, and what it does to you mentally we also swum into an unforecasted storm in that swim where the winds picked up to 30 knots and the wind was hitting into the swell so it was just coming up like this 
and I was getting thrown around like a rag doll on a washing machine. You know, you, you can't train for that. It's, it's something that you have to experience. And, you know, as horrendous as it was out there, uh, doing Molokai, you know, it was probably one of the best swims I've ever had in terms of, you know, I couldn't believe that together as a team, we managed to come through that against all odds and, and successfully cross. And, and that's an experience that we'll be able to take in life, you know, into future challenges in life and, and always look back at it and say, oh, we survived that, you know, we can do this. And then from there, obviously, did you think the other ones that you're going to have to swim, it can't get any harder than this? Surely, yeah, exactly. I, I thought maybe we've used up all our bad luck and in the one swim. And, and there was guys, I mean, there was plenty of guys that had warned me because my first three swims were all, I suppose, relatively calm conditions. So English Channel, I did it in eight hours exactly, broke the British record. North Channel was fairly decent conditions. I was only four minutes off the world record. Cook straight, I broke the world record and we had good conditions there. So we were coming off this high and the guys were saying to me, like, just wait, like there is going to be one that, that absolutely smashes you. And that was Molokai. And, you know, it absolutely brought us to our knees and pushed us so far outside our comfort zone. But, you know, if, if it was, if we'd had an easy experience there, if I had come and broken a world record, you know, it would have been great for a while, but I wouldn't have learned anything. So I'm, I'm thankful for the way that it, that it turned out and the challenge that we had. And how do you keep pushing through when it's so easy to give up? But to do 16 hours, like, you know, what's driving you to keep, I've got to, I've got to complete this? It's a great question, Hoppo. And, you know, I think it's, it's probably different for, like, everyone has their own reasons for pushing on. And, and that, that, that's it, actually. I think, you know, what is your why? Why do you, why do you continue when it's hurting? Why do you push on? Why not give in? Like there was plenty of moments in that swim where I thought, what the hell am I doing? And I, I questioned my life decisions, but I, I tried to always bring it back to that. You know, for me, I was doing these channel swims to support something bigger than myself. I was raising money for mental health and trying to share, uh, you know, and positive messages that might be able to help people. There was an aspect of, me pushing it, pushing myself and trying to, I suppose, do these swims for the people that I felt like I'd maybe let down in my pool swimming career and, and try to do them proud. So guys like my family who'd invested a lot of time in me when I was growing up and my coaches. And yeah, that the guys on the boat as well, you know, the support crew that you know, they don't have it easy either. They're getting thrown around on the boat and thrown up over the side. But they're they're going through this experience with you through thick and thin. And I think when you have those people around you supporting you in your toughest moments and uh, sitting in the mud together, you, you somehow find a way to push through. So out of the seven, did you complete it all within a year? Yeah, so so completed all of them within the space of a year. So started with the English Channel in August 2022, and then 
the last five were actually back to back all the way from March, April, May, June, July, with the last two being within the space of two weeks. Uh, so that was <laughs> that was fairly tough. And, you know, there was a fair number of challenges in there. I, I got quite badly ill before the second last one and really had to, to dig deep to make it through there. And then in the last swim in July, which was um, the Suguru Strait in Japan, there was a lot happening over there because every single person that had attempted that channel swim this year, everyone who'd attempted it this year had done so unsuccessfully. So there hadn't been a single successful crossing in the Suguru Strait this year. And the more, like every time someone went out and tried it and failed, it just felt like the pressure was just notching up another gear. And, you know, I already had the weight of the world on my shoulders because I was one off doing this incredible feat that no one had ever done before. But to have no one ever do it this season, uh, there was a lot of uproar about in the swimming community as to, you know, the treatment of swimmers over there. So it was certainly, I felt, I felt the pressure and I felt like I was under the spotlight coming into that swim. And then on the day, you know, the conditions were pretty horrendous as well. And I was throwing up within 30 minutes. It was that bad. It was a real tough swim. And how far was that one? That one was, if you go point to point, it was 19 kilometers. Took me 13 hours. 13 hours. 13 hours. But 19 13 hours. Jeez. Is, is yeah. that, so is it a lot of like wind and currents and play a part? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, to paint a bit of a, a picture, so it's from the north of Honshu, which is where Tokyo is. So the north island of the north of that island over to Hokkaido. It's a fairly narrow channel but it's like the only place where the water passes through from the sea, the sea of Japan to the Pacific. So like the currents are really raging through that channel. So it's almost like a river trying to cross a river and the currents were, I think eight to nine kilometers an hour in speed. So you've got to be swimming faster than nine kilometers to even move. Yeah. Which, which is not, which is not, going to happen so you know we're we're trying to it's like trying to swim across a raging river you're trying to you're going at an angle so that you don't get swept far too far down down there and and not able to make it back into land so there was a lot of complex currents and eddies to have to that we had to break through and you know i knew it was going to be a long day when when the conditions were just really violent from the beginning but that was the best of a bad bunch. You know, we only had a four-day, five-day window. All the other days looked worse than this one. So we'd done our homework. We'd been liaising quite closely with the skipper. You know, we, we felt we had to... Sometimes the light, the, the stars don't align. You, you just got to take the opportunities that, that are given to you. And we got out there and we had to really endure through some incredibly tough conditions to, to make it across. And then you made it, obviously, and then so you would have been the only person that made it? Only person this year, yeah. It was brutal. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, mate, it sounds brutal. Like you think 19 kilometres, that's, that's basically doing the rottenness swim, as you said. You can do that in about four hours. Yeah. And you're doing 90 kilometres that took you... Three times three times as long, basically. So Three times as long. Yeah. So it must have been periods there where you'd be swimming in one spot and not moving yeah. or even going backwards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, like, like Molokai, it, it just, it's absolutely shattering to hear that when, when the news is passed on. But, but what's the alternative, you know, like, do you give in, do you throw in the towel or do you, do you keep pushing on? And, you know, in my head, we'd, we'd come this far. We we're one swim away from doing this, making this achievement that no one's ever done before. So, and in, in support of a great cause. So, you know, I wasn't going to give in. I, I knew, I knew I wanted to push on and no matter how long it took, but the other aspect that was challenging, we did have a time limit that had been set on us by the Japanese Coast Guard. So if we were still in the water by sunset, which was 7 p.m., they would have pulled us out. And I'll tell you what, Hoppo, it, it came pretty close. It came pretty <laughs> close. Yeah, we were we were less than an hour off off that tight like that that cut off time it went right down to the wire unbelievable mate it's unbelievable you got the whole 70 in one year that do you think anyone else is going to get close or is anyone going to try and attempt it i think people will attempt it i think people will attempt it and i hope they do because i, I don't think people quite realize not just the physical challenge but the mental toll that it has as well like it was really demanding mentally more so than physically i'd say you know organizing these swims is hard enough doing the swims is hard enough uh but just even things like the recovery and and backing up getting getting on the horse again to to swim when you don't feel like it you you really need to have good people around you and and a good reason why to to motivate you to to do that well mate andy it's a magnificent effort mate it's uh people Hopefully, listen to this, and you get a, a part of what it's like. But obviously, you know, you need to be in the water for nineteen hours, battling to to get the full perspective of how tough it is. And and uh, I've done swims myself, and realised that that's just another level altogether. So, well done, mate, for completing that. <laughs> no, I appreciate that, Hoppel. Now, at the end of the interview, I do a um, segment five fun facts. I'm just going to throw some questions at you. You can answer them however you want, mate. <laughs> I feel the pressure already here. <laughs> <laughs> Just think you're in the water at about the 18 hour mark, mate. At the, uh, the... <laughs> All right. Uh, what are the best and worst purchases you've ever made? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, first things that come to my head. So worst purchase is, is probably a Dyson Airblade fan that I never used. <laughs> it was when I started working and I just had more money than I, more money than common sense coming in. And I just thought, oh, that looks quite cool. I'll buy that. Never used it. Gathered dust. Anyway, <laughs> best thing I ever bought, I'd probably say that initial plane ticket to go backpacking. Uh, I think with experiences, such as swims or, or traveling, you know, it's the only thing that you spend, only instance where you spend money that makes you richer, I'd say. Yeah, I had a fantastic time. Cats or dogs, why? 
<laughs> uh, dogs. Dogs. And uh, probably because, you know, you could have the worst day and then come home and your dog's waiting for you at the door. And it doesn't matter. They're always just so happy to see you and it makes you smile. Right. What are you most proud of? Ooh, hopefully being a good brother to my, my older sister and a good uncle to my niece and nephew. What's the most interesting thing you've read or seen this week? <laughs> I'd say uh, sometimes when I'm scrolling through my social media, there's all those inspirational quotes and stuff like that. So I saw one this week and it was a, I think it was like a panda and some animal on top of it. And it, it just said something like, what's, what's more important, the journey or the destination? And the panda responds, the company. <laughs> I really, I really like that. So that, that would be my pick. Very good. What song do you have to sing along with when you hear it? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> You don't have to sing it either. <laughs> don't have to sing it. Yeah, no, probably okay. smash windows nearby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh god. Probably, oh, probably don't stop believing by Journey. Yeah, you know it's always a it's always a cracker for for the old karaoke nights, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is definitely, mate. Uh, well, where can anyone? Um like donate to your charity that you're swimming for? Is there a way of people can come on board? Well, I've done a recent swim for Telephone. I uh, did a swim from Rottnest Island up to Elizabeth Key last Sunday, which is very, 33 kilometres long. I don't know if the website's still up, but if people do want to have a look there, if you can go to my, my social media page, andy.swimming on Instagram, there should be a link there in the, in the bio. Uh, and that will be for youth mental health uh, research. All right, Andy, all good, mate. It's uh, mate, it's been a pleasure having you in the beach shack and telling your story. And I might, I'm over there soon in yeah. Perth. Might be able to catch up with you when we're over there. And be, that would be an absolute pleasure. And um, aye, be good to meet in person. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you racing. Coming over here to race the doctor, and uh, yeah, I'll be I'll be supporting you and and John as well. Yeah, now to be uh, looking forward to it. John's first first time. John's doing the uh, John McLean for people that listen to. I've, I did his. Uh, he's been on the podcast and uh, he's doing it for the first time. So a great effort for him. I mean, it's what he does is is unbelievable. Inspiring, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. truly amazing. So now hopefully there'll be some good conditions for you guys and a, a good howling uh, westerly for you. A good tailwind. Yeah, we need a good wind. <laughs> Right, Andy, thanks, mate. Uh, I'll catch up with you. Cheers, awful. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.